the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Yes, geek out on television, so much to see. We still peak TV kills us all. Current retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor at popoptic.com, and I'm joined this week by one of our fabulous contributors from Pop Optic as well as Up Rocks, Whitney McIntosh. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Great to be back. Yes, always, always a pleasure. Of course, uh, people will remember uh, you, you came out to talk with us about Comic Con, but this week you're on for the full co hosting uh, just gauntlet, and I'm very excited because we are going to have so many things to say about a few shows that uh, have been a little undercovered here on the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be great. We got a lot of shows on the docket, some I'm excited to talk about that have been, you know, a little undercovered everywhere. So mm-hmm. um, it should definitely be a good one, especially with some recent episodes. Yeah. Now I have to give a quick may a couple to the audience. Uh, I am behind on my network pilots because Superstore, I did not realize, was an NBC show because I like only saw ads for it on cable channels. So I will have thoughts on that next week. Uh, and as as well as uh, coming up next week, we'll have Child's, Childhood's End and um, The Expanse and all of that. Uh, but this week, we're just covering shows that are actually airing this week. We, there's some there's some fall finales. And, and at the end of the show, rather than the DVD shelf, we will be doing a deep dive with The Leftovers Season 2, which, had, of course, had its finale. Very excited to be talking about that. Uh, how, how are you? How is this whole, like, transitional period treating you? Are, I'm like... With every fall finale, I get a little bit more excited because it means I have a little bit of time to catch up on some of these other shows that I'm behind on. Absolutely. No, I'm the same. And it, it I feel bad because a lot of these shows are so good. You know, The Leftovers, things that are coming up on Being Over, You're the Worst this week. Um, it's making me feel weird that I'm happy that all of these quality shows are going away. And then I get, you know, really happy that I have time to catch up on things. And then I get sad again because I realize that I'm going to have approximately six hours to catch up on things before... Amazon releases a new show or, as you mentioned, sci-fi releases a new show um, and and just completely ruins that whole concept of catching up on anything. Uh, Never a break. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Netflix has F is for Family from uh, Michael Price and Bill Burr coming and like next week, I think that is. Uh, so yeah, there there's still more Netflix shows coming, guys, as well as a few new shows de- debuting in the next couple weeks because this is hashtag Peak TV and that's how things roll. But speaking of Peak TV, we've got a lot of shows to talk about. So why don't we take a break? And of course, as is the tradition, listen to some crazy ex-girlfriend, in this case, Ms. Tova Felcha, ladies and gentlemen, taking it away with one of the songs from this week's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We'll be right back after this. Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? I need to use the bathroom. Tell me that you have a bathroom in this hovel you call home. I don't know which was bumpy or the plane ride or the taxi. All these freeways are a nightmare. Where's my purse? I need my coat. By the way, you're looking healthy. And by healthy, I mean chunky. I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just stating it as fact. I see your eczema is back. The lotion that I sent you If you're not gonna use it I'll return it to the store God, I give you everything And still you just want more, 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 more Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? You haven't told me where your bathroom is It's upstairs Okay, fine, I need the walk Well, your house is 
charming, though some florals wouldn't kill you. Do you ever get a maid here? It's so nice to sit and talk. That was Where's Your Bathroom or Where's the Bathroom from this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the fall finale of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I will be talking about that in a little bit. But first, I'm going to talk a little bit about Survivor's Remorse Season 2. I've started my catch-up on that. I wanted to have uh, give a few thoughts, share a few thoughts there. I'll talk Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's fall finale, my mom, Greg's mom, and Josh's sweet dance moves. Uh, and then we have Adventure Time, The More You Mow, The More You Mow. <laughs> The more you mow, the mow you know, <laughs> followed by You're the Worst, Other Things You Could Be Doing, and of course, uh, The Wiz Live. I'm very excited to talk about that, as well as the premiere of Top Chef. That's right. More shows are coming back, ladies and gentlemen. And we wanted to make sure we talked about some uh, some reality this week. So first up, in the first six or seven of uh, Survivors from our season two, I think I'm like halfway through episode seven. I had to, to pause it earlier today. Um and this was one that I was catching up on because um, uh, I've been meaning to get back to it. And it's super fun. So I watched the premiere back when it came out uh, earlier in the year and, and just hadn't gotten hadn't gotten around to it. And I'm very glad that I'm making time for it. It's just kind of it's a different kind of comedy than most of the shows that are that are on right now. Like so it's. We've got a lot of really great, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend we talk about every week and You're the Worst. And there's, you know, there's a lot of really fun comedies. But Survivor's Remorse, just the the back and forth of the family and the the combination of of real love, but also just absolute, uh, just giving each other crap all the time. Just constantly busting everybody's balls. Like, that. that's something that I really can enjoy, a rapport I can really enjoy. And... Uh, most of the the family sitcoms that I watch at this point are all kids, so it's uh, nice to get a you know a different kind of twist on that with Survivors Remorse, where they're all adults. Now, have you seen any of this show? I have not. Um, it's kind of, it's on my list. It's constantly lurking, and I have heard good things about it. I've heard how funny it is, um, and and how you know how much how many people do appreciate it once they get around to it but unfortunately it's, i think one of those shows that fly under so many people's radars at this point um you know hashtag mm-hmm. PTV that it's just i i have not gotten around to it unfortunately yeah no I, it's it's one of those shows that i the reason that i i put out a twitter poll and i said which should i watch first and i had like four different options and not a single vote for survivors remorse and yet i picked that one um and that's kind of why because i feel like these other shows are on people's radars but I really liked what I had seen of season two for this show. And I wanted to to kind of check it out, make sure that I, you know, was remembering it correctly and, and did enjoy it so much. Because it is it is a show that I feel like is getting under, like, it's it's not getting mentioned in the also-rans of the conversations that are happening at the end of the year here. Like, I feel like it should. Like, I don't know that this should be anybody's, like, top ten, necessarily. But, uh, or I wouldn't, I should say, I'm not surprised that it's not showing up in top tens. I mean, I wouldn't tell people what to vote for. Um, but I, it does feel like it should be more in the conversation. Um, and so uh, I wanted to, to give a little time to it here. And if, if you've been thinking of, should you check this out? Or you, if you're looking for a different kind of comedy, um, you know, that's, has that fun sibling dynamic, but doesn't, um, doesn't have a bunch of kids 
filling that role that has you know actual adults showing adult sibling relationships um then i think you should make make a little time for survivors remorse or put it on your queue like it's like you're saying when it's on your list it's on eventually you'll get to it that's where it was on my on my list and with some of these fall finales it cleared up enough space that i was able to, to to spend some time on it this week but i think people who have who are intrigued by the show who have not yet made time for it as we get to a slightly fallow period around the holidays here um that this is one if you're looking for a comedy that maybe maybe you should go for but uh that's all i'll say so for now about survivor's remorse uh, i may check in again after i finish this season i've heard rumblings of significant events <laughs> by the end of the second season here of survivor's remorse but i so we'll know i I'm not, I, don't, I don't know we'll see but i do want to also mention crazy ex-girlfriend which had its fall finale my mom greg's mom and josh's sweet dance moves <laughs> which has uh some some fun as the title suggests, some fun uh, dance moves for Josh Chan here, but more significantly features uh, Greg dealing with some of his his family issues uh, with, in, in a less interesting corner of the show for me this week. Having his mom not be evil, but just basically him having a distorted perception of her uh, was one way to do it and probably a more interesting, definitely a more uh, honest or, or not honest, but a more uh, relatable and more likely option. Um, but really the highlight for this is, is Tova Felcha who, who bursts on the scene as, uh, as Rachel's mom here and as Rebecca's mom here. And uh, just, I love how this show She's been, you know, on the phone a few times, and we we knew we knew the casting. But when they have Broadway's Tova Felcha actually in person on the show, as opposed to over a phone, uh, you know, talking long distance with her daughter, they introduce her singing. She bursts through the door singing, and it is like a it's a patter song basically, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's so much fun, as you guys could hear coming into this segment. Uh, the other song uh, this week was uh, was. Uh, the big like season mid-season finale kind of everybody stand and sing thing which is fine um i'm much more interested in character based or or thematically relevant as opposed to just hey why not it's a musical and we're having our our winter finale why don't we all sing together but um but but yeah that was, it was solid but for me this this episode is really all about where's your bathroom and tova felcha so uh for that I am going to miss Crazy Ex-Girlfriend while it's on hiatus. I'm going to miss its songs more than anything else because it makes my podcast life so much easier. But um, solid, if not uh, outstanding fall finale for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And my last one that I'm just going to go through quickly here is Adventure Time. The more you mow, the mow you know, uh, which is a really fun double episode featuring uh, BMO and centered all around BMO. And And have you seen any Adventure Time, Whitney? No, this is my huge blind spot that I keep getting chastised for. Um, it It's a sad thing, but it takes me so much longer to get around to animate, uh, animated series, which is just, that's my personal failing. I have nothing against animated series. It's like a 10-year-old secret prejudice that's like 10% of my brain that keeps like bumping them down my Netflix queue, um, which is why I'm also only on season three of Bob's Burgers, like tisk tisk. Um, but no, so Adventure Time, not one of mine. Um, seen like two episodes ever, out of context. Uh, so yes. <laughs> Shame. So then BMO is, is basically a Game Boy controller uh, who is sentient and adorable, just like he's 
he's adorable. He's adorable. Everybody loves Bimo. And he goes on an epic uh, quest. Uh, he gets sent out for his birthday. He gets sent on a quest to uh, to become a grown up. And uh, he's excited because if he was a grown up, then he could drive himself to the playground to play and he could buy his own candy at the store because uh, he's just, again, he's adorable. Um, and the, the way that this show takes a character like Bimo and has him ponder, it's like, what is growing up? Does it mean am I growing up or am I not? And is grow- being growing up just not knowing whether you're OK or everything's terrible and like it's just such a great way to to address this topic and such a uh because of the pacing of the character because of the way he talks and um just kind of pauses more and is more thoughtful it really lets him just sit by himself and ponder the meaning of aging and what is childhood and what is adulthood and i just i love the approach here it was really creative and fun and uh having uh Amo, who is an, a robot, for your information, Whitney, a robot who uh, can only, he, he can't love, but he can't give love. He can only receive love. And so he he's incredibly, incredibly needy. So he disguises himself as a grandparent. Uh, yeah. And keeps shushing the children um, and being passive aggressive with them is just kind of hilarious and very interesting with what they're necessarily saying with that character. Um, and contrasting that with uh princess bubblegum who's even older but is cool and doesn't do that is is an interesting comment on aging as well and the how much of it is a choice and how much of it isn't and and everything um but yeah i thought this was a really fun episode and it's nice to see them after being underwhelmed with their seven part marceline backstory that they did a couple weeks ago i I, i'm uh glad to be fully on board with this two-parter and uh, i'm hoping we get more like this uh in the rest of the year or next year when it, when it comes back. But for now, let's move on to a show that you can talk about because I need to stop talking for a little bit. So let's move on to You're the Worst. Other things you could be doing. This is the penultimate episode of the season, yes? Yes. Um, so the finale is The Heart is a Dum Dum on Wednesday. So this was the penultimate episode. Um, and it absolutely killed me. I mean, Aya Cash has just been slaying this season left and right. Every single thing that is asked of her, um, every single thing that is put on her plate um, and and just been knocking it out of the park on a completely different level, uh, especially for a comedy, just nailing every dramatic beat, every uh, moment of her depression. And this was no different. Um, Not to take anything away from Chris Gear, who also had some highlights of this episode. Um, But I, I mean, that last moment really sums it all up when she just wakes up in his pillow tent uh, sheet fort. Um, and, you know, she she says, you stayed. Um, he's like, I stayed. And it's just, it's romantic. It's sweet. It's a little bit, um, uh, a little bit bittersweet because you know that this doesn't fix things and this doesn't make them a perfect couple again um, or an imperfect couple as they were. Um, but it at least puts them back on the same page a little bit and, and means he's coming around to understand what she's been trying to tell him for the last, you know, six episodes. Um, so it means so much, you know, in, in two words and two lines that, and, and again, she just nails it um, and puts so much in those two words, um, relief, um, you know, happiness, uh, depression still. Um, and it, it really pulled this entire season together, I think, um, for me, as far as the individual episodes of them being apart um, and her 
keep, you know, continuing to tell him that he can't fix her and then him doing the opposite, messing up again. Um, and then, you know, in, in true you're the worst fashion, actually ending on uh, Lindsay being pregnant. Um, you know, so that, you know, not to, not to go on a depressing note, fart. Um, yeah, so I think it puts it on a better place heading into the season finale than I actually thought it would be based on all the different things they had going on. Um, and, and tying it together like that makes me much more confident in how they're going to stick the landing in this kind of humor medium season instead of just an all out laugh fest, um, that they, they know what they're doing, which, you know, I knew they know what they're doing, but sometimes it's nice to be reminded in as good an episode as, um, you could be doing other things for sure. Well, yeah. And because they're, what they've been doing with Gretchen's depression, that storyline has been really incredibly impressive and very affecting and very, uh, very measured and very deliberate, but there's not a lot of laughs for a character who can't or doesn't feel anything right now and is basically is a, a bit of a void. Um, she wants to feel and she wants to, be back to her normal self um, or what, you know, what, <laughs> what her boyfriend thinks is her normal self, but she can't seem to get there. So tr trying to make that be funny would feel disingenuous and would be um, disrespectful. So instead they've ha tried to write around it and do other things. And so, so while I've really respected this season, I've not been laughing as much and I've, it's been more like a show that I'm interested in and I'm intrigued by uh, and that I'm enjoying, but I'm not laughing. So, yeah, it, going they go for the feels in a big way and succeed, as far as I'm concerned, with this episode. And I think that's, that, like you said, I think that was really important going into the finale, kind of finally bringing, um, instead of watching the situation continue to deteriorate, but bring them to some level of understanding in this episode and also having Gretchen just say, I understand if you leave me, I like, I wouldn't want to be around this either. Like, I, and putting all their cards on the table and, and having Gretchen not, and no one else, by the way, shame him for considering leaving and that he can't take this because I think there's gotta be a lot of people out there who couldn't. And I think the, the way that, they treat that is 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 very again i just keep going back to respectful i really liked that i really appreciated that and so then to show him making the choice to stay it wasn't because that's what a good person would do it's not because that's what he has to do because it's gretchen and because it's a tv show it's because it's what he chooses to do and it makes it so much more powerful and so much more affecting but it just like it just slayed me the the ending of that when you realize what he's done and and how she can't even necessarily process it and she's so happy and but she's also scared and she's also all these other things um and how he feels too like i give i would give all, you know even more credit to chris gear for um for for what he's managed to convey um in, in a moment like that as well. Cause I, when I watched it the first time I'm watching I cash, but when I watch it the second time I'm watching Chris gear and I think they're both doing really great work. 
Yeah, and I also think that when she's relieved at the end, it's a little bit of a different kind of relief. Um, it's something that she didn't think she could access anymore, um, that she couldn't be happy in that way, because I think an important detail that almost gets um, squished between a bunch of things earlier in the episode is when Gretchen says, um, I always figure out a way to flip myself back right again, um, and I can't this time. Um, so it's kind of a hint that the audience is seeing her for the first time like this, too. Um, this is, you know, this is new for everyone. This is not just her going through the motions again, which is what it seemed like it was the first time Lindsay kind of um, knew what was going on. And the first time she's told Jimmy what was going on. Um, this is, you know, a whole new level of her depression, which happens, which is a very realistic representation of what depression is and how it affects people. And it's not the same every time. And there isn't just a quick get, you know, um, get it fixed quick scheme that you can do every single time that works. Um, so the fact that Gretchen seems even more lost, that she seems even more unsure of where she, where she stands and how she feels and the way to get back to where she does want to be. Um, I think that's important because um, it makes it more of a journey for her too, instead of just being kind of on the back burner burner, it shows her actually going through something that's more than just her standard depressive um, you know, bout of depression or depressive experience. So it makes it more of a parallel representation of these characters rather than just, well, Jimmy's been running around trying to fix her the entire time and Gretchen's been laying there. It's like, no, she's been going through an emotional arc that now maybe going back has been a little bit more clear um, or has a little bit more detail to it because she's admitting more and more as the season goes on um, about, you know, what, what she can't fix either. It's not Jimmy that can't fix her. It's she doesn't know. Um, and it's, it's lost on her too. You know, not even Henry Rollins on Skype can fix her. <laughs> yeah. Don't call him. Uh, yeah. The, it, it puts everybody on the same, it puts everybody on equal footing and, and with her too. So we're discovering with her, which I think is, like you said, I think that's important, uh, for, for, for a show. Um, when, when you have, and it, They've they've done the part of the sh of the season where Gretchen guides the audience through it, like it takes the audience by the hand and says this is this is what depression is for many people and this is what it feels like and this is what it looks like and I've been here before and I know what this is and it th so we've done that part of it and now we can move on to uh to 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 watching like you say an arc for her and watch her more actively. Um, cause I feel like, I think she's been struggling on, with this stuff, but very internally. And so we don't, how do you, how do you show that on a TV show? Um, so having her, having this be something new and having her f now maybe be able to e open up even more, if that's possible with Jimmy about what she's feeling about what's happening. Um, because the, the the leap she made to tell him as much as she did at the beginning of the season, uh, earlier in the season, I should say, uh, has now been validated and she must, I would imagine she would feel more safe to maybe she could even open up more and, and uh, work on, you know, I don't know, trying to come up with what she can do next or if she just needs to endure. Um, so I'm really excited for the, 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 the finale next week and i'm even more excited it got renewed i didn't know that, that was gonna happen i had no hopes that that was gonna happen i mean it does help that it's on fxx mm -hmm. that you know the league is ending that they do need 
to keep some comedies. Um, but yeah, so excited it's being renewed. So excited, especially as they set up, um, again, this growth in Jimmy and Gretchen's relationship, Lindsay being pregnant or at least thinking she's pregnant right now. Um, you know, that might just be the trash juice messing it up. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, some like background storylines, um, you know, with like a financial dominatrix happening and, um, that quietly ruining, uh, a different set of couples lives. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, Edgar moving in with his girlfriend. There's so much stuff that they're now setting up that could have been wrapped up or maybe wrapped up by the end of season two, but have also um, shown that there is so much room for growth and that Edgar can stand on his own as a character, that Lindsay can stand on her own even more than she already has as a character. Um, you know, all of those things. And I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, and again, I agree that I hope season three does have some more laughs. Um, not that they should back away from the heavier material because they clearly can handle it, but um just like a couple, like <laughs> just a little bit. Um, right now it feels like I'm kind of hunting for laughs. Um, you know, I mean, laying in the bushes is hilarious, but it's not something that's like laugh out loud. I can't believe they said that. Um, you know, I want more lines like they're like Alabama English, um, you know, episode. cause it, it is such a funny show when you know, they have the comedic talent behind the scenes to, to handle it. Um, so I want maybe more of a balance, um, see them execute, because that's even harder. It is, you know? And so I want that execution as well. We'll see. But yes, yeah, so excited. Season three. Yeah. We've seen them be very funny. We've seen them be capital I important uh, and be very entertaining and affecting both ways. I look forward to what, you know, Stephen Falk and the writers will come up with next season uh, for whatever they want to do next. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. Any final thoughts on You Are the Worst or shall we move on to The Wiz? Um, yeah, let's, let's move on, let's move on down the road. Uh, I can't handle the fabulousness of The Wiz. I was super, I, I, I was anticipating it as somewhat, uh, just based on seeing the costumes and the casting, but it blew me away, basically. Yeah, um, my, like, only major comment right now is, Shanice is amazing! I can't, she was so good. I mean, as a musical theater person, as someone who got to interview all of the principles from last year's production and learn more of how they put it on and what their concerns were. Um, and then to see those concerns be, you know, made flesh. Um, <laughs> I was so happy that this year's was so much better. Um, you know, not like almost because of the casting, um, because I was so excited about the casting and the costumes that I didn't want to see them ruin that and, or squander that, you know, it's so rare that you get all of those talented people under one roof. It's, you know, twice as many great um, actors, actresses, and performers as the previous years. So I was more worried that they were going to squander the, the positives that they had um, and was just hoping that they could pull it together better than they did the last two years and was not disappointed. It was amazing. Everything is amazing. Um, <laughs> and Shanice is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I what I want to see... And I know it's not going to happen, but what I want to see is I want to see what the show is like, because they're, they're, apparently there's plans to move it to Broadway, this production. Um, I would guess with Shanice in the, the lead. Um, I don't know, but I would assume. Yeah, what the producers are on record as saying is that everyone involved with the production, um, every last person has an offer to mm. move to Broadway um, if they would like it and if they are available and they can enter into negotiations kind of. As soon as possible. I'm um, sure that's not going to be possible for like 
Queen you know, and Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Very yeah. other important. Well, you know, Mary J. Blige is like doing Apple commercials. She get over here, Mary J. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, certain people that have other things, but yes. So that is where they are on the record of saying Shanice is welcome. Everyone is welcome. We want to move this as is to Broadway, if at all possible. So what I want to see is I want to see this again when she has a hundred performances under her belt. Because uh, I think she did a good job. I think she did a very good job. I mean, she's 19 and this is like her first gig. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Um, but I, I was feeling her nerves early on. I was feeling uh, there were some mic things where you were having trouble hearing her. And I, I thought she was doing a solid job. But then she just exploded my brain with home. Because you could just see her relax because this was the last thing she had to do. She didn't have to remember any more lines. She just had to, like, hug Toto. So sing this amazing song and kill it, which she did. And then hug Toto and it's the end. Um, so you could just see her open up and just relax into that fantastic closing number. Um, and so when she has more experience in this role and just in general performing, I, I think she's going to be even better, even more amazing. And uh, I look forward to, to whatever she is, you know, ends up doing next over the next, you know, however many years, because she's clearly remarkable. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, so I, you know, before, once she got cast and before the performance happened, I looked up her background a little bit to see, like, okay, is she actually a nobody or is she a, a nobody in the way that, like, sometimes blind casting calls turn up somebody that um, it, it has been working but is just a nobody to, like, 95% of the population. Um, and she really did mostly come out of nowhere. I mean, she had done... Um, I think she called the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey her second high school. Um, and that's, I mean, we're like, that's like off, off Broadway, but where Broadway stars go to just like hang out and not be stressed by a production. Um, so like that experience. And then she's at a performing arts school in LA. So she's not a rookie. Um, but again, I think this is a, this is a sign of somebody that was probably going to make it big one way or another because she is so talented and does have that voice just exploding onto the scene, you know, like five or six years early um, and getting that shot. And NBC gave it to her out of thousands of girls. And then she killed it uh, in a million different ways. Um, I think I had the same issues you did, you know, just a little bit of the nerves, a little bit of blocking um, and, you know, generally being charismatic from beginning to end because, you know, you do get tired. It's your first major uh, performance, no matter, they don't rehearse for like that long. Um, So trying to keep everything up at the same energy level is hard. Um, and you definitely saw that lag a little bit. And in some songs when she couldn't balance the dancing and the singing at the same time. But other than that, I mean, so much room to grow. So amazing right now that, um, you know, I want to see her. I want to see her in like two, two, three years when she really has it down, has everything, um, has the confidence in her, doesn't have the jitters. Cause that was just, I mean, incredible to watch. And I ended up listening to home like four times the next day at work. Um, it was great to listen to. Yeah, I, I um I was also really impressed. I mean, with really the whole cast, but I, I my other nitpicks, common was that did that stuff did not work at all. I don't know how much of that is just they needed a a studio like an audience to react to that stuff because it was supposed to be funny and then no one's laughing and it's just awkward. Uh, and how much is just I don't know how much comedy, you know, chops common has. Uh, but those scenes really didn't work for me. And 
I really enjoyed uh, Queen Latifah's performance as an actor. I like the first time through, I was less wowed by the vocals, but then I watched the whole thing again and was more on board with it the second time. Uh, but I mean, I really liked her, her like just as an actor um, when she was uh, interacting with the rest of the cast and especially when they like unmask her and she's like chilling in sweats and stuff uh, that, that scene really did work for me a lot. And, uh, but like you said, Mary J. Blige nailed it. Like she just, she just came out and slayed and uh, I really liked what we got with um, the whole, all three of the Tin, tin Woodsman and uh, Scarecrow and Cowardly Lion. Davy Allen Greer can sing. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was great. Um, but even again, someone who we know has great comedic timing didn't really work um, because um, I think part of it is that they uh, rehearse with the crew um, laughing and responding. So they rehearse with laugh breaks. You you rehearse with the comedic timing, especially for somebody who has worked in the industry for so long and knows how to you know sell a joke and knows how to wait a beat to continue. I think to then rehearse that way and then not do it with people laughing is hard. Um, you know, and they, they've kind of said in the past that they're the crew and the, um, all the behind the scenes people that aren't active crew, even on the night of are kind of their surrogate audience when they rehearse, um, which is almost counterproductive if you're not going to have an audience, the real thing, um, as nice as that might be to see if the comedy's working beforehand, it almost messes you up more than it would just rehearsing with nobody. Um, so I, I think that was a big issue. Um, and like, even with some Elijah Kelly, like Pratt falls, um, happened a lot there. Uh, and that was my major takeaway that I was like, Oh, I am laughing a little bit, but I feel like I would be laughing more if I had some corroboration that this is supposed to be funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and again, I get that there are logistics for not having a live audience. I understand that. Um, and that it's just not, going to ever have a live audience um and i'd be interested to see if fox does that in the spring or in february when they do january end of january um when they do grease live but yeah that was my big thing that just um things that should have been very funny could have been very funny really fell flat um and even at the end of home like you you want to hear people applaud and like yeah. we're screaming from our couch um in in awe of her and then we feel weird because we're people screaming yeah. at home alone with no no sound <laughs> just like do a curtain call you know like figure out a way because it that's that was it was such a great way to end but then it just you felt robbed of the the time to come down a little bit um and and having them like i don't know if you saw the the video that got posted on Twitter of the crew com like cheering for Shanice when she came backstage, oh, like I was like that's what I wanted to see on NBC at the end like that kind of just like getting to see the people react getting to see the curtain call getting like something like that to to, to again to have that surrogacy um, from the crew if not from an audience from someone I think that that would have been nice um, and then I guess the last thing for me is just. I just I cannot get over how spectacular, spectacular the costumes, makeup, and sets are. And were are. I mean, because they're going to take it over to to Broadway. But as a fan of the uh, Wizard of Oz books, as someone who read them, as like I read all of the ones by Al Frank Baum, because even as a child, I was I had strict rules about what counted, <laughs> what was canon, and what wasn't. And I decided all the L. Frank Baum ones were canon and all the other authors were just 
pretenders to the throne or something. So as someone who had read all those books, having, um, having the, the, so much of that, that wonder and like the highly stylized and fantastical, um, imagery in the costuming, the set design and the makeup was just wonderful. I loved it. I loved it. Like the way that they did the tornado really worked for me. I mean, given the limitations that they had, the way that they did the flying monkeys or the winged warriors, um, really worked for me. And the, the representation in different types of people, different ages of people. I mean, they gave the Tin Woodsman bad teeth. They, they, they were making his teeth be metal. Yeah. They, but they could have been anything. And they put little rust gaps between several of his teeth. I love that they do that. And this is your, our hero. This is one of the main characters, but he doesn't have perfect fake teeth. He has real person teeth, even something that detailed and tiny is such a, a wonderful thought to have that somebody thought we should do this. This should be part of the way that we present these characters. And so like, like Linda originally was going to have a big gold curly wig. And then somebody said, you know, we need to, we need to give Glinda natural hair. We need to have her uh, hair up in braids and have her have natural hair. Cause that is an important thing to do in our show. The character who is, beautiful who's you know like everybody keeps talking about how beautiful glinda is she should have natural hair i think that's such a the fact that this is a production that cares about that stuff that cares about representation that cares about different what we call beautiful i mean i think it's such a wonderful uh you know to, to succeed on a musical level and a dramatic level and a and a uh Musical theater level is one thing to succeed in all these other ways as well is just, it warms my heart. Yeah. And I do think, you know, they had that freedom because of taking it over to Broadway. They had extra production values. They had, um, you know, I'm sure Universal chipped in a little bit more because it's more of an investment for their uh, back end return. So I, I, and I appreciate what they did with it. I appreciate it that they didn't just say, oh, we'll make the sets bigger. Um, they, they actually took the time and said, okay, we have this extra production value. We have this extra, uh, wiggle room and that these costumes are going to be used for a long time or that they can be a launching point for something bigger and better on Broadway. And they actually did something with it. You know, they talked a lot about using the led screens in the background instead of just a backdrop about how, um, they worked the different costuming details like those natural hair, um, you know, multiple characters with natural hair. Um, and you know, the fact that, um, Amber Riley's character had a, like a messenger bag. Um, cause that, you know, you would never think of that. Like, Oh, this is a, um, witch who has a messenger bag that matches her high top wedges. Like that's amazing. Like she has Jordan wedges that are the same color as her, like what, a, you know, a school bag or like a travel bag. And that's great. Um, you know, down to the, the bathrobe that the whiz had and all of those things. Um, that they were all really great details, but then again, just the the scale of it, making everything so colorful, so beautiful, um, worked so well from scene to scene, um, was just amazing, amazing to watch, and they really nailed it on pretty much at every level. And I can't wait to, uh, you know, to hopefully see it on Broadway when it comes out, and hopefully Shanice will be with them, and hopefully all of the stunning costumes will be as well. <laughs> <laughs> well you'll have to report back and let us know if you do get to see it because i will be jealous of you because uh, i cannot even handle the amazingness of uh well, first of all just the the look of the whiz 
when 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 he appears and then uh just add a pearl like her coat i just i can't handle it it's too amazing i just can't i can't even believe i forgot this oh the only other thing that had me screaming on the couch and like clutching my roommate was the um like drag ball at oh my god yeah you're right um, which just, there was voguing, there was like the Nene, I don't even know. It was so amazing. Um, it's one of the few yeah. performances they don't have online as of yet, which is killing me. Um, and it's, I want to watch it a million times. That was perfect. And that was another great example of, um, you know, representation and expanding what the original play was and the original movie was, and just making it even more fun and pushing the boundary and saying, what can we do? We're on national television with all these talented people what can we do? And then let's just do it. Let's, you know, let's just put it out there. Let's do a complete like six minute sequence of people going hard in a club that happens to be the Emerald city. Cause they're clearly all on drugs or something. And it's amazing. Um, that was, that was a high point besides the actual like performances. <laughs> no, I, including the actual performances. I absolutely agree. One of the best parts of the entire evening was that because and it's because it was so unexpected too it's like oh what are they gonna they've done such a great job with all these different things what are they gonna do with oh my god this is i never knew i needed this but i so did no i'm I'm full i'm with you 100 percent uh any other thoughts on the whiz or is Uh, it time for top chef yeah i think that's a, a good way to move on because they really that was like top of top of the list for me just incredible (laughs) well top of the list how about a top of top chef what did you think of their two night premiere uh i'm mixed Uh, Mm um i'm very mixed on this one Um, i'm happy that top chef seems to be um back kind of in their sweet spot a little bit i think for a while there they were making it too gimmicky um and too like reality show-esque instead of being a story about these chefs that also happens to be a reality show um and they were getting a little bit too on their high horse about what they could do in competitions and how they set things up and you know the reality tv dynamics that they manipulated and all those things um and i think they're settling back in a little bit after last season being on the upswing um to now to being okay um i'm worried about the quality of the contestants um both as a entertainment factor and as a contestant factor um because there's a lot of executive chefs uh, i think only two people or three people are not executive chefs um there's not that much diversity and I, I'm worried it might be too much of a good thing um, because there's not that random food truck guy from like Minnesota who's going to come in and just make weird stuff um, or, you know, ethnic food or something that reminds him of home. It's a lot of executive chefs trying to prove that they're just a good executive chef. Um, and we get that. We know that. Welcome to the club. You know, you wouldn't be here if you weren't a good chef. And then it, it, I'm worried it's going to be boring from that point of view because everyone's being a little bit safe. I don't see anybody out of this crop that is pushing the limits or in a position to push the limits because they already have a restaurant to go back to. They're not someone who wants to really open their own. They, they're they good. They're all set. Um, and and I, I think that's partially because there's been a lot of kind of uh, pathways closed to Top Chef in the last few years that have been, you know, chefs have publicly come out saying, we're not letting you recruit our chefs anymore um, because so many people have been yanked away from the pipeline which is already floundering in the restaurant business um and i so i'm not sure if it's just that or if it's that top chef has decided that they they want to play it safe and they want to make sure that these chefs are talented instead of maybe taking a chance um 
on some some random guy from like South Carolina um, instead of a major city who already has an established connection with their friends or uh, their favorite restaurant, something like that. What did you think? Um, I thought that, well, I have a couple of questions about the, the season. First of all, I think they did, they did a good job of setting up the person we're all going to hate all season. And that's Mr. Man Bun. Um, yes, he's insufferable. Uh, so I don't know if that's him or the, just the edit, but, um, good job. <laughs> I already don't like him. Congratulations. That's why I'm still not the edit. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the, the way the, the, the judges said, and of course there's the puffed whatever. Yeah. Um, the, and they're like, yeah, it was good. But it's also, you know, so I thought I thought that that was that was fun. But why is Grayson back? I and I'm not upset that Grayson's back. To be clear, I, she was one yeah. of my favorites from season nine. I she kind of she had an earlier exit than expected um, during that season. I think they were really counting on her to be that, uh, you know, again that kind of that outsider, the younger contestant who was an up and comer who they could ride on, and then she had a meltdown um, on many levels and got kicked off. Um, so I'm not upset that she's back. Cause I'm interested to see her professional growth, uh, what she learned from last time, which, uh, maybe we can, you know, talk about if she learned anything from last time. Um, but it, it is weird that they don't explain it. You know, they spend so much time talking about, Oh, um, you know, this guy's relationship with Emerald and this guy's relationship with, um, his man bun. And then they don't talk about why a, fan favorite contestant is back for you know four seasons later it literally goes unmentioned except for Grayson just saying you know I'm I'm a little older I'm a couple pounds heavier I'm back and it's like no one talks about it um it's, it's a little weird um and it's not a gimmick like that one season that they did have a gimmick so it's I don't know I'm uncomfortable with it because I feel like they don't know why she's back they don't they have no idea they just felt like doing it um which is not always a good reason to do something so we'll see how that goes but eh. yeah well, it does make such a different dynamic because she doesn't have the um, starstruck or um, I want them to like me that all the other chefs do with the judges because she's got, you know, she's already been through the ringer. So she's just, you know, X number of episodes ahead of them. Uh, and so when she's just kind of sullen with the judges, it's because she's not trying to impress them. She's gotten over that. And so that that does an interesting thing to the dynamic in the judging. Um but she also like you can also tell that she's very self-conscious and very aware that she's on television and that like cuz she's again cuz she's been through this before so she you, you can see her getting more defensive like immediately with the judges than the other people are um it's like she's again she's been through the process she's been burned uh and she's gone home and so I don't know that she is responding as well or as satisfi satisfyingly as a return contestant as some of the others have. Um, like, especially in, in the, like the seasons where it was all returning people. Um, but, uh, but I mean, I liked her in her season, it, but because like you say, because they haven't said why she's back, I just am kind of wondering, does she know a guy? Like, is there yeah. a did yeah. she, you know, save Padma's cell phone number and like drunk dialed her one night? Like, I don't know, like how this came yeah. out. I just wish there was some sort of insight. And honestly, to me, it doesn't have to make sense. Like, it, it can just be like, hey, you know, um, Grayson grew professionally, and um, we just really wanted to see what she could do at this point. And um, she's a different type of chef. Okay, cool, perfect. Like, you don't have to have a reality TV show reason for wanting her back. 
It can mm-hmm. just be as simple as like Tom liked her the last time and we want to see what she can do. And we think this season fits her. Um, like that's fine. But to not acknowledge it comes off as now you're just trying to work around it. And then she ends up being such a central point in multiple, like multiple eliminations or uh, discussions or meal drama that then it seems even more on purpose that they're not mentioning it, mentioning it, um, which is just weird. Um, and as far as her, again, kind of knowing that she's on TV and knowing that she's part of this competition and how to handle it, um, I think it's almost holding her back a little bit mm-hmm. because yeah, she's, she's not taking the risks that she needs to be taking, which they've acknowledged multiple times. But that, I think it's not because she doesn't know how. I think it's because she's looking around and saying, okay, let the weaker ones make the mistakes now. Let me get back into the rhythm of it. Let me get comfortable with these like crazy sleep cycles, the rushing around the grocery store. Let me feel out who the contestants are um, that I, you know, I need to be competing with and how I can work with them or not work with them. And then hopefully I don't go home early, but let me just play it safe. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen people make big mistakes when they don't have to and go home for it. So I think she's playing it safe from a strategic point of view. But it's not entertaining, um, you know, making meatballs, not entertaining. Um, I, I do agree with Padma on that one. Um, but I, I think it's because she's seen somebody make a dessert in episode two and get cut for it. She's seen somebody make, um, you know, like a vegan pizza out of rare, like yellow grain and like vegetables that don't taste well together and seen them get cut for it. So she's not pushing herself, um, which may pay off in the long run. But I think that's such a major major sign that she is using her previous experience as part of the strategy um which is it's like a weird dynamic for these early episodes for sure um and i think tom and padma don't really know or and gail don't really know how to handle it either um because they're they seem taken aback that she's being so snippy because normally they could just write them off they could give them the asshole edit they could be the, the, the villain from the start, if someone did that to them at judging, but the fans know that she's not. The fans know that this is because she's been through it before, that she's not a villain. Um, so they, I feel like the edit doesn't know what to do. The judges don't know how to react. <laughs> kind of weird all over. Um, and she, and, you know, she sucks a little bit of the attention away from the other contestants that we don't know about in just this weird way that you don't see on reality TV that much. Um, so it's it's interesting on multiple levels, and I'm interested to see where it goes. I hope she doesn't go home like fifth, um, and and that she does get, you know, the the wheels under her again, gets back on the bike. But yeah, interesting to have her back. Weird that they haven't mentioned it. Um, it yeah, weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Weird. Uh, hopefully somebody figures out what they're doing with that in the next couple of weeks. But for now that, that, that wraps up uh, my thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts on top chef? How do you feel about them bouncing around California instead of just staying in one city? Uh, I think it's a little sad that they can't come up with a city they haven't done yet. That has interesting food. Um, but if they can't, then sure. Why not? I mean, like to me, it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually hope it takes them away from the gimmicks. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, Maybe since they've they've done California multiple times, um, different cities that the since the gimmick is just different cities in California that they're not relying too much on um, like crazy out there um, stereotypical things from the city, but also like yeah, it is a little sad that they couldn't go to like Oklahoma City or like mm-hmm. Fargo. I don't know, like I. Like, <laughs> 
give Padma a dart and throw it at a map. I don't care. Like, you know, go get Canadian production values. Go to Montreal. Like, I I don't know. Um, so that part is sad. But um, hopefully it'll just be almost a non-factor um, and just be like a, a weird thing that they decided on and doesn't actually affect the rest of the season. Um, I know I'm still burned from the Boston debacle, um, near and dear to my heart, still mad about it. So maybe this will be the better choice, but it's, yeah, again, kind of something they're not really talking about. Just like, Oh, we're going to bounce from city to city. Not going to talk about the logistics of that at all. (laughs) Like, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, what wins your week in comedy and reality? We've got some, got some ringers here. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, you're the worst in comedy just because of how they wrapped it up. And and the Wiz Live in reality, because I will watch it 57 times, um, including when it is re-aired on the 19th. Um, Yeah, it it was perfect. It was great. Or as close to perfect as you can be compared to the difficulty rating we've seen the last few years. Um, Definitely won the week for me. I'm right there with you. And uh, yeah, I got to give it to you. The worst this week. Really looking forward to the finale and uh, just love what they're doing this season. So now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre and drama. That was brand new day from the Wiz Live. Uh, looking like like you said, Winnie. Looking forward to the re-air of that, and even just to follow on Twitter again because it was awesome. Uh, yeah, go just go just Google listeners, Google Wiz Live, and and like Black Twitter or something, and see some of the compilations of tweets. It was amazing. Uh, but up now we're done talking about the Wiz. We're done talking about the Wiz Live. Up now is our week in genre and drama, and we're going to kick things off with a little talk about the Nick this season. Uh, we both caught up on on the season. We're up to date. Uh, then we'll talk a little Fargo, Lop Lop, I Zombie, The Hurt Stalker, Supergirl, Red Faced, and a little bit of talk of the the next week's episode, Human for a Day, which has already aired by the time you guys are hearing this. And then uh, we'll have the Flash and Arrow crossover, Legends of Today, Legends of Yesterday, and we'll wrap things up with the Doctor Who finale, Hellbent. Uh, so first up is the Nick. And uh, I caught up on the past like four or five episodes this week, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, and I'm much I think I'm much more invested this season than I was, with the exception of the Cornelia and Algie uh, love story from last season, which like they they totally got me in the feels with that. But um, other than that, I think I'm I'm much more invested in this season than I was in last season, as much as I enjoyed last season. And these last couple episodes have really been working for me. Uh, how, how has this season been for you? Uh, it's been really good. Um, I think the one thing that I've been trying to be conscious of is not getting tied up too much in the dialogue because it's not a show that has the most flowery of dialogue. You know, the story is solid um, and the dialogue's okay, but if you pay too close attention to it, it turns into like 
oh, some of these lines are, are not awesome. And I can tell, you know, where the, the themes are showing, but because Steven Soderbergh is directing the hell out of it and just blowing you away, you don't pay attention to it as much, which is a major reason that it's as good as it is. Um, so I think I've been trying to be like very conscious of focusing on the direction and then only kind of focusing on the dialogue the first time through. And then if there's an episode that I've enjoyed, I've gone back and rewatched, which has helped me a lot enjoy the second season. Um, but I like it better than the first. Uh, I think it's great because it's not the John Thackeray show anymore. He's still a major part of it, but in a different way. It's not just about him being an addict. It's about, you know, a little bit more medicine, a little bit more of the relationships across the board um, and pairing up different people and switching up different people and, and exploring more than just um, this one guy is ruining everybody's lives by being a psycho addict doctor genius. <laughs> I love the way that they've kept addiction as a major part of the season, but have completely sidelined Thax fully raging addiction to heroin and coke. Uh, that's still happening, but we we are watching people discuss and deal with addiction. We're not actually watching him be an addict. That's happening mostly off screen. And uh, I am much more interested in that version of the show, I must I must say. Is, uh, I'm sure that the, the other shoe is going to drop and we'll get the uh, we'll get the return of Thak as addict in withdrawal and everything before the end of the season. I would be very surprised if that doesn't happen. Um, but I'm, like I said, I'm much more interested in this version of the show, this more ensemble food, which they got to in the first season as well, but um, I think they're even more so. I've these characters feel like people who are uh, very invested in what's happening. I'm more invested, I guess, in what's happening to- in their lives outside of the Nick. And a big thing with this season, at least for me, is they are just going full on with the villains. Because I mean, Gallinger and uh, and all the all the eugenic stuff, and then I mean, just the weaseliest weasel to ever weasel abandoning his family and selling their house so he can join a club. I mean, damn. Yeah, don't don't mind me. I'm just selling your house out from under you, joining a gentleman's club, going to live with the, my new prostitute girlfriend who I like freed from the brothel in a haze of white light like a false savior, which is such a weird choice. And then telling you about all of this over dinner is like the most cold-hearted thing I have seen since like Game of Thrones murdered a bunch of people in the middle of an ice frost like that like that was so cold and so harsh and i just i have no empathy for this guy i like i can't even with at least with gallinger i can see where he's coming from i mean not great dude to sleep with your insane wife's sister literally the night you dropped her off at the insane asylum um but at least with him i there's some humanity there there's some layers He's a he's a sad villain. He's gone through a lot. Um, Barrow is just over there, like dealing with the mob and covering up murders, and then being an awful person. On top of that, um, it's it's a really hard thing to do. And I think in a normal show, that person would be boring to watch because they're just like a one dimensional villain. But he's just done so much that he's such a weasel that it's least entertaining because you just want the other shoe to drop. You just want him to get his comeuppance in a way that please make it be so entertaining. Um, But yeah, that's, I do appreciate that they have explored more of the evil side of people that isn't just 
uh, you can't operate on this person because you're high and your nurse just like shot coke into your uh, member. Um, you know, there's there's way more to explore, and they're they're doing it and they're uh, executing it well um, and offering up a lot more to bounce off of in future episodes, future seasons. Absolutely agree. The last thing I need to mention is, uh, okay, I've got three, four, four words. Birdie, top hat, towel. Adorable. I love that scene. Because I needed something after, with all this Barrow stuff and all this Gallinger stuff, and I needed something. It's like that that scene being so funny and sweet and sexy. And Birdie's mom dying. Yeah. We, there's been was supposed to save her life like birdie needs something he, he need, need yeah we all needed something and that scene was pretty much like that 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 was it that was your happy even everything that's going on with like with, with cleary and you know like all that romantic tension we got over there like that even that we didn't get that because i mean i'm sure by the end of the season we'll get a positive resolution to that but we can't even have that for now. So that's what i have to hold on to do you have any final thoughts about recent episodes of the of the nick um, I, I think there's been some really beautiful moments when they've been in the operating room. Um, and I appreciate that Soderbergh is still coming up with new ways to oppress us. Um, because I thought I had seen it all in season one and now they've been doing, you know, some great things in season two, um, with, you know, even the, the, uh, conjoined twins, um, you know, sequences, um, exploring, I appreciate how they're exploring different parts of the city with it as well. Um, as, coincidence would have it i've been reading or just finished a book about the um, race between boston and new york to build the first subway um and to do it accurately and i was on the chapter about the park avenue explosion when i watched the nick like reading it simultaneously when i was watching the nick deal with the park avenue explosion and i feel like they're exploring major events in new york city way more than they were in the first season the first season was kind of like here's a hospital we have a black doctor we have an addicted doctor there's like some stuff going on with race tensions. That's, and that's all we're going to do this season. They've gone into, um, you know, uh, moving the hospital uptown, uh, uh, real estate law, park Avenue subway explosion, um, bubonic plague. Yeah. Bubonic plague, shipping ethics, like a murder cover up. And this is all kind of in the background. This is all kind of just like when Neely is on screen and then she's also dealing with her whole marriage and they're just doing it. Um, packing in so many things that I think are details they couldn't get to um, in the first season. And I appreciate that more. It gives you a more fully uh, complete look at this world instead of just being inside the Nick um, that it's, you know, it is New York city. It's such a, a ripe world to bounce off of and have this kind of, you know, semi fact based uh, story that they might as well use it. And I appreciate Soderbergh doing that um, on top of all of the other uh things that we're seeing as well but yeah so I'm, I'm intrigued it's great really excited to see where it goes at the end of the season uh, with all that's going on well how are you feeling about Fargo Lop Lop that's another another big prestige drama with getting a lot of end of your buzz too absolutely um Fargo I, I want to love and I think I do love but something about every episode it takes me about an hour afterwards and then I second guess a lot of it um I think when you're watching it, when you're in it, and when you're immersed in what Noah Hawley and his crew are doing, it's so much easier to appreciate that. And then as soon as you think twice about it, you're like, oh, well, there was this, you know, small detail that 
didn't quite track for me or this emotional beat that didn't quite work. Um, and, and then it kind of, I think this season's showing its seams a little bit more, um, maybe just like a little bit of a crinkle where there doesn't need to be. Um, and I don't know what's causing that. I don't know what's whether it's just because they're pushing themselves too much because they're trying too many little seventies quirks or what it is. Um, but I, I don't know. There's something that's not smooth about it. There's something that's just like every time I think about the episode, um, also doesn't help that every episode is like two hours long. Um, it's giving me sons of anarchy, PTSD effects. Stop this. I'm making a public plea like land graph. Stop it. You have the power. Put your foot down 52 minutes max. Um, but yeah, that there's something with these episodes that's just not tracking as well as the first season for me, even with all of the positive that I, I agree with everybody on and all of this buzz. What about you? How are you feeling about it? I'm, it's like what I said a couple of weeks back on the podcast. I, I really respect the show, but I don't have a strong enough emotional connection to it. I don't have, it's lacking the core heart of the show for me that, um, the Alice Tillman character gave to season one. I, I need that, that I need something in that realm. And I'm for, I still am not really seeing that, but, I that being said, I had a lot of fun with this particular episode, and I mean, like everything, which is like Kirsten Dunst just stabbing Dodd until <laughs> he's polite. I mean, I thought that was great, and, and the, then the episode builds really nicely to the 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 tense climax. Is you, you know, you think who's going to get killed, and like the you know the hatchet with the rope and all that. Like I thought that actually worked really well. So as an individual episode, I was much more invested in this this episode it's also it's a much tighter narrative focus in this episode and that really helped me um but even with that is even as much as i I enjoyed it while like you say while i was watching it i had to remember i had to like stretch my brain a little bit to remember a week later here almost a week later what was this episode again um and that's unfortunate uh because it's beautifully shot and it's so wonderfully made and has so many actors that i respect but uh, I'm still in this era of peak TV as I keep coming back to uh, the stuff that I'm less connected to emotionally just doesn't stick in my memory the same way. How about you? Uh, yeah. And I think that that's part of it. Um, I, and I, I'm emotionally invested in specific people. I mean, again, Kirsten Dunn's just blowing me away um, with her character. The stabbing is just like the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae that she has been all season. Um, and then Jesse Plemons coming in and just saying like, you got to stop stabbing him. It's just so funny. Um, and I do love that it can still hit those comedic beats um, and, and have that side of things. But then you remember that like um, Mike Milligan is about to come and murder everyone. Like he's standing in, like he's answering the phone with, literal blood on his hands um as he's getting ready to drive over and and murder a whole bunch of people um and it's it's like a tonal imbalance that like I'm cracking up and it doesn't give me enough time to laugh before I then have to go back and shift my memory back again and be like oh someone just got shot in the head um and I think it's it's something the Coen brothers do really well and it is hard to replicate so it's a it's a high degree of, of difficulty I get that um but I wish I was as emotionally invested in everybody and the whole story as I was in, you know, Kristen Dunst, Ted Danson, um, Christina Milioti, every single person that's doing good work. I wish that there was uh, that level of commitment on my part or that I feel the need to be committed. 
across the board. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be interesting. At the end of the season, it's getting to that high noon place. Everyone's going to the same place where the aforementioned you know, massacre happened that was mentioned last season, which set up the season. So you know something bad's going to happen. Everyone's going to the same place. Everyone's got a lot of guns. And no one's going to get what they want because people are dead. Um, so it, at least maybe they can end the season with a bang, even though it hasn't been kind of as out of this world as usual for me. That being said, very excited by uh, Christian Miliati uh, going in and seeing all like the scribblings and everything. I'm assuming that's like with all the UFO stuff we've been seeing. I've like, did I miss something there, or is that that's that was supposed to be like WTF made, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I love that it was a different kind of suspense because a lot of the suspense has been there's someone with a knife behind that wall, and you like think she's about to get stabbed and it's going to be um like you, you know reverse Chekhov's cancer that like she doesn't actually <laughs> have cancer um but then you also know that because she would have you know young Allison would have known that her mom got murdered we would have heard about that um so there are but it's a it was a different kind of suspense as she's walking through the house um and then also that you, you know like the cra- crazy Ted Danson is the best Ted Danson he plays crazy so well he plays unhinged and kind of kooky so well that I'm interested to see if they actually tie that in or if it's just, uh, or how they tie that in or, or if he has like a mental break, what happens? Um, um, that's yeah. You know, those small details are making it a little bit better for me, but, and giving her something to do while, uh, her husband and her dad are off just like shoot, shooting some mob people. And, uh, <laughs> Nick Offerman makes breakfast cause he's the breakfast king of, uh, what was it? Tacoma or no Jackson or where was it? The breakfast king of the world. The breakfast king of my heart. Nick yeah. Offerman. Yeah. Speaking of food, let's move on to everyone's favorite uh, brain connoisseur. And that's iZombie and the Hurt Stalker. How are you feeling about the season? What do you think of this episode? Oh, break my heart. It's just, you can see everything getting put into place to crush all of our emotions. And it, it it's what Rob Thomas does so well. You can see as the season goes on how bad things are going to be, like four episodes down the road. And you just don't want it to happen and you can't stop the train. Um, and I think this was kind of the culmination of a lot of that from this season. So much goes wrong. So many of Liv's insecurities and concerns are pushed to the surface because she eats stalker brain. And then, you know, Major has to keep lying and, and Rita realizes what's going on. There's so many pieces moving um, and, and you just know it's not going to end well. And it breaks my heart already. Stop, Rob Thomas. What, what are you doing? Major and Liv can just get in a convertible and drive away. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I I continue to just again, I don't like the show as much as everybody else does, and I I kind of wish I did, but I don't. I keep watching it because I know y'all love it, and I keep hoping I'll see what y- what you guys do. But I I still really really appreciate, especially the way that they handle Major and and Ravi. Uh, I like Liv. I don't love Liv. I don't. I'm not as invested in her as I think I need to be to really connect with the show the way that so many have. But um, uh, I, I still I still struggle with the character because I don't I don't have any sense of who she is. I have zero sense of who Liv Moore is um, because she shifts so wildly depending on the brains that she's on. And I don't think the show did a good enough job establishing who she was before the brains or like who she is when a, the, she's not on a particular brain for me to get a sense of her other than she's cool. And um, that continues to keep me unmoored. Oh, <laughs> unintentional pun. 
<laughs> that keeps me uh, listless somewhat when I'm watching. But uh, the way that they are handling that character, I am very impressed by uh, particularly Major, but also I think you know Ravi is really a really great character, and um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff the show's getting very right that a lot of other shows in a similar ilk. Uh, have not in the past or wouldn't necessarily. So I will be watching through the rest of the season and uh, I will have my little fangirl heart get crushed when bad things happen with, with, with the living major. But that's, that's where I'm at with I, with I zombie right now. Am I just a heartless, terrible person, Whitney? Uh, I mean, m- maybe. Um, I'm okay. Sorry, but... Fair enough. Fair enough. No, but I do, I see your concern and I do sometimes get that about Liv, um, that she is a little bit just like manic pixie dream zombie, um, that happened to be like a med student before. Um, but I think every time I think that way, or I, I see they're a little bit on the line or, or wavering on that characterization, they give me shirtless, uh, Robert Buckley. So then, um, I'm, I'm good. Or, you know, <laughs> funny Rahul Coley, um, and, and things like that, that, make up for it. Um, we're Fair enough. Um, but no, and I, I do, I get that. And I'm hoping that as the season goes on, because there are so many personal things that are going wrong, whereas last season it was a lot of like big picture, um, big bad things. This season it's a lot of very individual or um, close to home reasons that when that kind of blows up, that it will show us more of how Liv feels about these things. Um, and maybe she won't be um, so or, like ruled by a brain at that very moment. Um you know, last season was kind of stories that were far enough away from her um, when it kind of came crashing down. And this season, it's, it's coming closer and closer and things are shrinking and shrinking. And um, uh, so I am curious to see how Liv handles it instead of it just being a case of the week uh, when that happens. But no, I do get the concern. Doesn't make me love it any less. Um, and I, you know, Veronica Mars with zombies is just, I mean, I, I really couldn't ask for anything more and they are executing it so well. So I... I am definitely on board. Excited to see the rest of the season. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Let's move on to another female superhero uh, or superheroine, shall we say. Uh, how are you feeling about Supergirl, which you've been so so dedicatedly reviewing for us at Pop Optic? Uh, last week's episode, Red Face, and then this week's episode as we talk, but theoretically it would normally be on next week's podcast, uh, Human for a Day. Uh, Red Face worked for me so much more than it should have been, than it should have. But I think I think I like the show more than you do because I don't have to write about it every week. That may be the case. Um, Supergirl as a whole, and also the past two episodes, have made me want to um, get on a plane that's about to crash and specifically leave a note that says, don't catch it. Um, <laughs> it, it I just, it's so disappointing to me, not only because it has such a great pedigree behind it, um, you know, Kreisberg, um, Berlanti, my God, Berlanti, what are you doing to me? You're ruining so much goodwill that you've built up. Um, and uh, well, he's also doing that with another show that we'll talk about. Um, but, you know, but I trust Berlanti so much in his superhero shows. And I don't know if it's because it's on CBS and he's strapped in that way or if it's because he's stretched so thin or if it's because it's just the material that's not speaking to him in a way that he can produce into something that's great. But it's just falling completely flat, flat for me. Um, Melissa Benoist is fine. Uh, I think she was working way too hard with like a wink and a smile and a tap dance to make this work. Um, I don't like 
the dialogue, and I especially think that's the case in Human for a Day, Redface did have a little bit of a better case with that because so many characters were involved that it wasn't just Kara talks to one person and then Kara talks to the next person. It was like group scenes. Group scenes are great. Um, but yeah, that it's just, it's so disappointing for me. I wish they could find a focus. I wish they could find a through line that actually, you know, speaks to them in a way that inspires them to make a good show. And I just don't see that happening. And it's been, you know, now seven episodes and I don't see growth. And that worries me because I want to see growth. I want it to be good. She's a female superhero on TV. We get very few of those. I want them to last and just the, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I think I'm just more okay with Supergirl again because I don't have to write about it that really really helps but um so that that allows me to sit back and just kind of glance at it and not have to really dive in uh to the nitty-gritty of it but I, I think I'm okay with it as just sort of a allegorical and a um like a um like a fable kind of way where, where the characters are, are very much tropes and they're not as dimensional as they should be. But we have, we have just women passing down life lessons to each other. And I'm kind of okay with that for now, at least, uh, you know, the stuff that we get in red faced with cat and with Kara and yes, they're really basic, lessons like when you get really upset about something and you blow up in a way that you normally wouldn't you're not actually mad about the thing that you think you're mad about you're mad about something else and you need to figure that out like and the 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 sublimating uh of of tiny insults over time especially uh women in a male-dominated workplace and um i i love that discussion of that and yes it's on a really kind of hand-holding level, but I just, it makes me happy that there is a thing like that out there that little girls can be watching with their parents or with their, with their mothers, with their fathers, with their siblings, um, on TV. So just sort of on an allegorical level, it makes me happy that this show is on. And so I think, I think that's why I'm willing to give it more slack. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. The fact that I don't need to write 700 to a thousand words about it every week really helps yeah and i think i agree with you on some level though the allegorical part is fine if that's what the show wants to be great go for it i think where my issue stems from is that it's not committing to that alone it's trying to be too many things it doesn't have one focus if it wants to just be case of the week allegorical um you know very standard characters besides maybe Kara and her direct family and friends then go for it but it's not. It's trying to balance on a more detailed character development for, you know, maybe Kat or Jimmy. And then it immediately pulls back either within the same episode or an episode later, you know, during Red Face, you know, they introduce Kat's mom and it should be something where maybe we can dig into this character a little bit more. Maybe we can um, explore what makes her tickle even like a little bit more and they just don't do it. So it makes it look like they're not trying, which is where my frustration comes in. Because we already know what her relationship with her mom is like. She discussed it prior episodes. So if that's all you want to explore in that relationship, fine, so be it. I'm here for that. But then don't waste time just reestablishing that same thing over and over. And that's what they've done a lot so far. Um, whether it's with Kara and Jimmy, with Jimmy and Wynn, with Alex and Kara. Everyone just seems to be running in circles with the same emotional beats. And then they keep introducing, you know, they introduced Astra as the big bad. And 
she wasn't in that wasn't in the season for like four episodes until she came back in human for a day at the very end just to like say hey and say well it's not you thought it was over yeah we thought it was over because you literally just set your big dad <laughs> for half of your current episode run which makes no sense on a story level so again because it's a team that knows how to write story because it's a team that usually knows how to establish these arcs even like 10 percent better it's it's hurting that much more that they're just not committing to what they want to do. If you want to be simple, be simple. If you want to expand the universe, you know, really fast and dig into these character motivations, cool, do that too. But you can't really have it both ways. And right now it's just, it's repetitive and the characters are shallow trying to do unshallow things. And that always makes you look so much worse. Um, and I think that's where, where I really am with it. Um, but again, because so, I have to analyze it for a thousand words, <laughs> you know. The last thing I'll say, the Peter Facinelli character just can just go away and just never be back. Just like forever gone. It's, it's terrible. And the really pain, it seems like they're trying to do some sort of a love interest thing with him and Kyler Lee. I don't know, but it's terrible, all of it. So that, like every time he comes on screen, I just, I go, no, just don't and do it. I like Peter Facinelli and I like the the idea behind it. But I think that's another thing where they're trying to have too much cake at once. They're trying to um, put everything on the table that they have ideas for. Whereas Peter Facinelli, the Maxwell Lord character, he would make a great sort of just background scientist that maybe you see on the TV or is in one episode as a procedural component. Then maybe he comes back in season two as a big bad. Do that. Don't have him switching off with Astra and then switching off with procedural villains and then switching off with now the government and then the DEO. Like, it's too yeah. much. Now four or five big bads in a span of seven episodes that just it, it's overloading a show that doesn't really seem like it wants to be overloaded. That really just wants to seem like it wants to be Melissa Benoist flying around, winking at a school bus of children um, and smiling like she's in a terrible America's Next Top Model commercial. Um, and then, yes, she literally waits a beat while rescuing a school bus of children before going to rescue a burning building. Because those 10 seconds were well spent of her time. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's that imbalance that I think really bothers me. Um, but yeah, Peter Facinelli, not working for me in this case. I like him. Nothing against you, Peter Facinelli. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about overburdened. Uh, we got to talk about the Flash Arrow crossover, Le Legends of Today and Legends of Yesterday, because they took an already very full roster of characters and added in Hawkgirl and uh, Hawkman and uh vandal savage and time travel and Im well not time tra travel that was already on the table but I immortals and all of this stuff what did you think of of this crossover and how did how do you think they handled uh hawk girl and, and hawkman uh, i loved hawk girl and hawkman i thought the introduction was never going to be better than that because they're again trying to squeeze so much in to get this legends of tomorrow set up that it, I, like a solid B minus was really all I could expect. They hit it like a, like a B ish. Um, introducing them little clunky, but they're fun actors. They're a fun pair of actors, actresses handling the material. So that helped a lot. Um, but what I really have to say is I swear to God, if either of these shows adds another secret into the, <laughs> I am going yeah. to slam my head against my desk. I don't understand why this needs to keep happening. I thought they had learned their lesson from last year with like, Ray has a secret. Felicity has a secret. Oliver has a secret. And like only one of them knows each secret and it's going to be so bad. Like it ended poorly for you. It ended poorly for the characters. Stop it. 
And they, it was like a tease this week. It was like Oliver did something stupid. He kept a secret again. It didn't work out well. Oh, wait, we went back in time. Awesome. Like, we're going to fix it. No, we're going to do the exact same thing because we like are enjoy antagonizing our audience on a level that is so troll. Like I just, it, it makes me so depressed. Oliver just can Oliver leave. Can Felicity and Thea just go to central city and like hang out at the coffee shop and have some fun instead of this idiot. Just. Ugh. Yeah. We didn't learn the, the wrong lesson from your alternate timeline, Oliver. Oh, I lied to Felicity and she found out. I know. How about I lie to her and hope she doesn't find out? And I my, mean, my, my very dear close friend who has experience also keeping secrets that didn't work out told me not to. He gave me advice and I just ignored the yeah. advice on every level. Well, and this notion that uh, the the baby mama, for lack of better words, I do not remember the character's name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Arrow fans out there, that she is this vehemently opposed to like this very significant person in in uh oliver's life knowing that he has a son like that's absurd i i I really think it's absolutely absurd and it just it's the the contrivance that the show needs so that they can have will they won't they tension with a couple that works so much better without tension yeah. And let's be real. The only reason they brought the kid back is because they wrote themselves into a corner, putting the stupid grave scene at the end of the season premiere. They needed someone to die. It's going to be baby mama who stupidly didn't cash a million dollar check. Like, I don't care about your ethics. You cash the check. I don't. I'm sorry. Like, um, don't, like, like don't even spend the million dollars. Just ca- gather interest on it and then donate it to charity or something. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. So don't, yeah, don't, like, but they, they back themselves into a corner. They said, hmm, what random people can we kill off or person or whoever? And then Oliver's going to end up having to take his son at the end of the season and tell Felicity that, oh, I've had a son for the past six months. And I didn't tell you, but now baby mama died because of something I probably did because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Sorry, but like, yeah. thank God, thank God she was there to take that bullet, whether literally or metaphorically, um, but that I'm calling that now because... They yeah. want us to think that Felicity is going to die, but that's not going to happen. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, again, a contrivance, ridiculous, yet another thing of Oliver being just stupid um, and not being a very good lead for this show because he's just an idiot. Um, um, but yeah, <laughs> I do have one thing I need to add, and that's um, the talk about stupid contrivances. Flash, like Barry needs to tell Patty. Because everybody knows. Everybody knows. Yeah. Except for his girlfriend, which is, who also works on the MetaHuman Task Force. I mean, like, if you're telling random random people, like, Cisco's kind of maybe girlfriend who's got, like, some stuff going on, and you're not telling Patty, come on. Yeah. It would be, yeah, again, it would be different if, um, or, first of all, I loved the moment when Cisco realized that he gave away Barry's identity, because um, that's just a great moment. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, if it was different, if she wasn't on the meta-human task force, if she didn't know about supernatural activity, um, if she was, like, lived in another city, I don't know, then, mm-hmm. yes, maybe there would be a legitimate reason why he should wait to like, the fifth date. Um, but your girlfriend is now, like, two inches away. She shot your semi-mentor slash maybe lifesaver slash who knows from a different Earth um, because she didn't know. And it's really, again, it's a contrivance to get her in a position where she's, like, messing things up because she doesn't know um 
And it can be as simple as what Thea, when Thea found out, like, oh, cool, we know the Flash. That's that's cool. That's a thing. Um, and she's like, did I know that? Did I? Did I feel like I didn't know that? Like, I, I loved the way that they handled that. Right, and it's it's easy. It's quick. It's easy. It doesn't need to be this whole like drawn out thing where it's drama and it's secrets. Like, just be like, oh, by the way, like didn't want to tell you, but now that you're in the middle of it anyway, because you almost had to save me from a giant shark. Um, like. I'm the Flash. Like, I, you know, it's, ugh, yeah, too many contrivances. Um, and again, in an episode that should not have been distracting or didn't distracting uh, because of those contrivances, because they're trying to set up a complete spinoff. And if you put your spinoff characters in episodes that aren't good, it's not going to help the chances of people watching said spinoff, no matter how many characters you pull over. Um, you know, it, I wish we had a little bit more of the hot girl, Hawkman interaction. Um and how she's feeling about like waking up one day and being hot girl um, before we get to Legends of Tomorrow. But you know, I get their crunch for time. I get that they still wanted to make it be make it be a rewarding crossover for both shows. Um, but it, it just, yeah, it was fine. It was fun. It, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Stop listening to people, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Learn a lesson. Stop lying. Well, speaking of lying, Doctor Who. Uh, like, well, the doctor lies is, is one of the favorite, uh, lines of the Moffat era of the series. This week we had Hellbent, which was the culmination of their three-parter to end the season. It's been a season of two-parters, uh, with the exception of Sleep Tight a couple weeks ago because they knew they would end it with a three-parter and there was one episode left. Um, how did this episode work for you as a finale to the season, as a finale to this three-parter, and then just... As an episode, this this three-parter at the end here, each episode was very tonally distinct. They're just kind of tied through motivation and plot, uh, which is different than what the rest of the season's approach has been. And I'm curious if it worked more for you or less because of that. Uh, I think it worked more for me because it's closer to what Doctor Who usually is. Um, instead of having, you know, very specific two-parters that are completely self-contained a lot of the times they do have some motivations going over maybe the first half of the season then the second half of the season spread out a little bit more so I think it was closer to what the seasons are usually set up like which is just a more comfortable place for me to watch the show as um but I also appreciated that they didn't that didn't mean that they held back at all from pushing the limits and really being creative and uh making these episodes stand out because these were probably my favorite three of the season with the um, exception of the girl who died and the woman who lived the, where they introduced a shoulder. Um, they were great. I really enjoyed them. I thought um, Heaven Sent was the pinnacle of Capaldi's time as the Doctor thus far. Uh, Hellbent is the culmination of everything he can do as the Doctor all in one. Um, you know, saving the day, being emotional, playing guitar. Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um I am concerned about the way that they wrapped up Clara's storyline um, a little bit. Just, uh, you know, kind of they they did a, Mo a Moffat-y thing. Um, and they did a Moffat-y thing and it was always going to happen because um, you don't kill a companion, you know, in the, in the two episodes before the finale not to ever use her again. Um, so I am concerned about that but i'm interested to hear what you think uh not only about clara's final maybe final perfect scene um and and everything else as well with capaldi and the story and how it wrapped up uh well i was one of like the two people out there who didn't really like uh heaven sent so for me um this not being as tied 
to that was helpful because again the, the the trouble I had is that when they said when they killed Clara I didn't believe them I mean it was affecting in the moment but I was like mm, there's still two episodes left this season something's gonna they're gonna undo it and then they do undo it here and so I didn't buy into the emotion of heaven sent because I didn't believe that they would actually leave Clara dead and then they didn't uh here so I, I really like the interaction we get with Clara and the doctor in this episode it really highlights just how how good those two can be together when they're given the right material um I, I thought there was so much fun in this episode I think fun was really an important thing missing in in certain parts of the season certainly obviously fun had like little to no place in heaven sent but even in face of the raven I, I could have gone with a little bit more energy and so when we have them zooming around and like pulling fast ones on the time lords and all that the sisterhood of karn shows up and they're just awesome i love them so i'm so glad to see them pop up um i, I thought it was great that we had that i didn't as as visually striking and uh also, just from a costuming standpoint, a set design standpoint, a coloring of this, I mean, like color timing and scoring standpoint, all the Western slash Star Wars stuff at the beginning was fun. I did, we didn't need it. There was like, the episode went extra long. They could have cut all of that easily. Um, so I don't know why they didn't other than it's cool, which... Fair enough, but if you're trying to make a great episode, it's cool is not is not a good enough reason for me. Um, but I liked I liked it. I had fun with it, and I ended up being much more positive on I think this last episode than many others I saw. And I think it's because for me it wasn't it didn't have to follow up one of the greatest Doctor Who's of the of the the modern era the way that it did for a lot of people. Um, so that's that's sort of where I where I'm at with that. Uh, and I think as for Clara, I'm torn. Because I kind of hate that they undid such an affecting death. It's like, I mean, you couldn't just, they, they, they just couldn't keep it. It was such a, um, to have a companion grow reckless and die because they were reckless, I think is a good thing. But to saddle the doctor with even more angst is a bad thing because he doesn't need it. He, he needs a win. And so having him remember her, but forget all the, uh, it seems like the, the angst and drama of it and just kind of get to remember the facts of it all. And that she's this really cool, great person, but I don't, you know, I can't and like miss that one level of it that's going to send him off in the dark spiral because she's dead. I think that's good. So I'm 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 of two minds. How how are you feeling about was it a cop out? Was it good? Was it a great send off? How did you feel about Clara? I I mean it's definitely a cop out, but I don't think it's a bad cop out is my mm -hmm. thing. I think again, I was kind of on the same thing. I had my little emotional moment when she died. I thought it was a great scene. Um if not you know, I didn't love the episode as a whole, but great ending, mm -hmm. great scene. The two of them, you know, we know what they can do opposite of each other. That was just them showing off at that point. But I knew they were going to undo it some way. I was kind of holding out hope that when they had her come back in Heaven Sent, that maybe that was going to be it. Um, those little peaks. Um, but then kind of, you know, it wasn't. Um, but I do think they pulled it off with what they were trying to do, even if what they were trying to do is not what I wish they would have done. Um, but, um, yeah, it's definitely a cop-out. It's definitely the, a 
cheat that has been done in this kind of modern era, the same, you know, the same style of cheat um, to make things work exactly as they would like them to and, and get everybody a happy ending when not everybody deserve a happy ending. Um, and, but, you know, they're all, Doctor Who, you, sometimes I have to remember, everyone has to remember, like, it's supposed to be fun. Um, so I appreciate them having Clara and me run around in an American diner uh, cloaked TARDIS or, um, you know, those kinds of things and have those little Western moments or those little fun moments with them winning. Um, you know, it's one last chance to see them be reckless together. Um, but I do think that I'm excited to see Capaldi not be in like a depressive spiral, heaven sent style because the love of his life, which I do consider canon, um, <laughs> is gone and was killed because he put her in harm's way and she went head first right into it. Um, so I, I think I'm on the same page as you. I'm, I'm of two minds. If they were going to reverse it, which they always, always were, I think this is the best they could have done with it. Um, I do love the bait and switch idea of the audience not realizing that it's the doctor lost his memory, not Clara. Um, that's a nice little difference maybe than what I expect them to do. Um, but at the end of the day, it was still, kind of a, a standard ending and, and something that it was like, well, everyone's happy and uh, Clara gets one more little adventure and the doctor gets to go find someone else and not be uh, like have his heart ripped out. Like he's been being killed for 4.5 billion years. Um, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing this does highlight though, for me is it's very glaring that Jack doesn't pop up. Like what, like what behind the scenes thing is going on such that, when we have a shielder and now we have Clara who can't die because she's already dead. Like she's not alive or she's not already dead, but she's not alive either. Uh, Heartbeats, which is the most true thing ever. Yeah. How do we not have the other? Cause I'm sorry. I'm not counting Kai Pfeiffer cause miracle day didn't happen in my brain. It's happy in there. Um, uh, how are we not having captain Jack? at least come up in the conversation outside of the, you should look up Captain Jack throwaway line we had with the shoulder when we last saw her. Yeah. It is very odd to me. Yeah. It, it's, and maybe it just was a script thing where the way they were trying, it wasn't working or that it would have opened up a wormhole in their minds that then they would have had to devote time to. Um, but yeah, it is a little weird. Like I don't need John Barrowman to be like, come riding in on a surfboard of magic to be like, this is my explanation and let's all hang out as a trio of immortal undead people. Um, but like, yeah, for the doctor to have this knowledge, part of the appeal of the show is for the doctor to have, uh, you know, multiple universes worth of knowledge and for him not to like, and that he pulls it out at important points in his timeline. And for him to specifically not do that comes off as just a very undoctor like um like i get you're focusing on a lot right now man but um there's mm -hmm. like that that one guy that you maybe know that could help or it could apply to the situation i don't know yeah mm -hmm. that is weird yeah well and maybe it's just that he's too similar to clara as a character um maybe that's part of it i don't know uh he, he's very much in the the moffat uh fast talking heroin vein um, so maybe it's that I, I, that's, that's a half formed thought, gentle listeners. So don't hold me to it too hard, but, uh, to, to, don't hold me to that too fast. But, um, but yeah, that, that was a little odd to me because it just feels like such a natural fit. Clara, 
uh, it's got to run into to uh, Captain Jack eventually now that she is not dead or not alive. Yeah. Whatever. And again, it's Moffat catnip. Like you, you yeah. in the writer's room, he's like, we should write some dialogue. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, even as much as we just went over it and all the ways it kind of didn't work and kind of fell apart for us, I might have to go with Doctor Who because it was the capper to a great season. They did do a lot right, um, you know, that I could go on about. But, you know, I don't want to allow the missteps to completely ruin it for me because while I was watching it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I'm a Clara stan. She was great. I'll miss her. They did get, they respected the character in the goodbye. Um, and I really couldn't have asked for much more while also getting Capaldi uh, just blowing us out of the water once again. Um, and compared to everything else on the docket with maybe exception to the Nick, um, I think that definitely was the week for me. Yeah. And I'll give it to the Nick um, for, for, I mean, it's hard for me because I watched them kind of back to back. It's hard for me to really differentiate this week's episode from the other ones I watched, but uh, I've been enjoying the season more than I thought I would. So I will definitely give it to them and a, a nod of the, of the hat to, to, uh, to Dr. Who as well, because like you say, it was fun. And just like, I love the, like, I would much rather have the doctor strumming Clara's theme uh, than even riding it on a tank, tank being awesome, which was super <laughs> cool. But like the way that they're making that more and more something that's a character choice, I think is great. And I, I hope to see more of that as the show continues, as this is a defining element of this doctor. But that will wrap up our week in genre and drama. Now we'll take a break and come back with our season spotlight on season two of The Leftovers. the televerse this is kate calls i'm joined this week by pop optic and up rocks whitney mcintosh and this week again instead of the dvd shelf it's time for another season spotlight because the leftovers has been insane this year y'all and so we have to talk about it this week we had the finale i live here now 
but we're going to talk about the season as a whole and and what's worked what hasn't and um at least for me what's making sure it it finds a place on my top 10 but before i start gushing how do you feel about this season of the, of the leftovers Whitney? is this going to be a more contentious discussion or are you also on board um i'm definitely on board i don't think i'm as head over heels <laughs> as everybody else but like I, i'm like two percent off of that it's like really not very far um you know if i like my top 10 list it might be like two slots down from other people um but yeah it's it's had an incredible season as as somebody who really liked the first season for me to love this first season and see them evolve like this is how shows evolve this is how shows move forward change pace and just completely relaunch themselves in a way that works so well it's incredible um incredible so that definitely um it definitely has done it for me this year on just so many levels and in such a complete storyline season there's not one episode that i think they could have done without there's not an episode that was like an awful display of tv um and they've given us lots of naked justin through so that's i mean that's about all i need um like what were your highlights or what what made it so good for you the the focus in on the characters and their points of view shifting it so it was less i mean I, kevin is still the main character i would say but it's a much more balanced season it's a much more um because we are not as mired in one character we are not as mired in one character's grief and struggle and while that is still an essential part of what this series is having just even just some amount of, of variety in that, I think is a big part of why this season, while still challenging to, to watch it at times, has been uh, much more rewarding. Uh, instead of, of, you know, the, the, the same, you know, like a season of, am I losing my mind? And what's this stuff with the dogs about? Like all of that. Instead of that, we got to, to, get more familiar with exactly what Nora is dealing with exactly what this new family you know with especially Erica for me is dealing with uh after uh, Evie disappears um and then, and then the way that they brought in somebody like Meg I never thought I wanted a Meg episode but damn did I enjoy that Meg episode uh having the the freedom and the 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 confidence to to take to to realize in the first season what worked best were those standalone episodes, point of view episodes, and then combine that in this next season, not just in, abandon the entire approach of the first season, but combine that with a larger thread and and these larger um, mysteries that they trained us to think they wouldn't answer and then did uh, was incredibly. Again, I come back to the same word. It was incredibly satisfying for me. Yeah, and I think, again, I mean, going back to that Meg episode, I think we're on the same page about that one. Just a real tour de force from Liv Tyler um, in a way that I, I don't think many people see her as an actress. Um, just really got to work on a whole different level there. Um, and putting that solely in the season, making that, um, you know, the the eighth, ep eighth episode, yeah, um, ninth episode, whatever it was, um, making it so late in the season where we only saw her, like, a glimpse of her before as part of Tommy's storyline. And then people kind of forget about her. you know, like, maybe we won't get a point of view. Maybe that, that part of the guilty remnants is gone. We never have to worry about it again. And then to come back and be like, Nope, actually this is what you've been like fighting against or fighting for the whole time with all of these other family members, um, with all of these other, um, emotional 
emotionally fraught storylines. Like, yeah, these people are still fighting for something, even though it's not as, a, um, you know, upfront as it was last season. Last season, it was very much a like evil against good after this awful thing happened and everyone's depressed. This year, it was like, okay, everyone's kind of doing their own thing and it's great. And then they add in this other element way late in the game and it just makes it perfect. Um, and it clarifies it and it clarifies why it's important that we've been watching these people and why it's important um, that they have these family dynamics um, and these internal struggles um, in a way that makes it much better than if it was just, yeah, they're depressed again. Um, and, and someone met, went missing again. Um, there's a lot of parallels to the first season, including and up to when Kevin returns to Jarden in like a blaze of flames and bacchanalia and then goes back to his home similar to the first season, but it has that separate tone. It has that, you like ratcheted up, uh, element to it that, you know, it's, it's just operating on a completely different level. Amazing. Well, and again, because, because we have these different perspectives, it allows us to have different reactions and to see, and I think the reaction we got from the characters to what was going on was much more uh, relatable. So, so, so Kevin says, I talked to a dead woman who tells me to do stuff. And Nora goes, okay, sweetie, let's go to bed. Now I'm going to wake up and I'm going to take the baby and I'm taking my, my sister-in-law and we're getting the fuck out of there because my boyfriend says that he talks to a dead woman. I mean, yes, that is the correct response. It's not maybe a very nice response and we are in his point of view, so we also agree with him that he's seeing Patty, but that's a much more uh, human response. And, and the reaction we get from uh you know the reaction we get from erica to what's going on and these other characters you know like the you know abby's brother whose name escapes me at the moment um all of that feels so much more tangible than i think i'll go join a cult and when we get i think i'll go join a cult which turns out to have been the spine of the whole season at least not the spine but the um connecting thread it's very actively not explained why, because why doesn't matter right then. And also, maybe the mom knows. Maybe the mo- there's some instigating incident that the mom knows about, but nobody else does. And so what matters is her choice to do that, not why she did it. And that would be something that they'd have to go into in season three if the show even gets to season three and if they want to continue with that thread. But having, you know, whereas in the first season, Lori and her decision to to join the Guilty Remnant was such an important part of the show. Here, they managed to do pull the same trick, but again, like, because it's at the end of the season, we can watch the characters respond to some of that trauma without having to follow the character who's left, who's made that choice. Instead, we follow the characters who are just trying to, to live their lives. Yeah, and I do think, um, I mean, Regina King's performance has just been uh, incredible, um, but her on the bridge trying to get Evie to notice her, pay attention, give her an answer, um, is like one of the high points of the season, just watching that um, that emotional resonance and the realization that crosses her face um, and it, the comparisons that you can make between Evie as a Guilty Remnant member and Evie as a um, somebody who suffers from epilepsy. Um, there, you know, it's a similar kind of spaciousness 
um, and and out there-ness in her eyes, even though this time she's doing it on purpose. So it's like little details like that. Um, and whether her saying you understand is about her mom having wanted to leave her father, maybe she found out, maybe she didn't. Maybe it's just the guilty remnant response because they're weird. Um, and they will respond weirdly to things. Like, we don't know. So, the, yeah, we did get answers, which is great. Like, with, which is nice because Damon Lindelof did say, like, you're not getting answers about the departure. But he didn't say you're never getting answers about anything. So I am happy the season had some answers. Um, but some things I appreciate them letting the audience come to you on their own. Decide whether or not they want it to be magic. They want it to be an instigating incident, as you said. Or they want it to be, um, you know, kind of just up, up to them. And maybe something, maybe a third option that the show didn't really present. Um, or something that they're emotionally tied to. Like, you know, I don't really need to know why Kevin didn't bleed out on the floor of the um, the vet. I don't need to know why his dog was the only one who stayed behind, only to run away five minutes later. Um, that dog's an idiot. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's the one detail that I'm bothered by from this finale. No, but um, you're like I don't need to know. But some of the answers were nice. And I, when you talk about the the connection to Eb as the guilty remnant and her uh, her a- a- epilepsy, I also just connected to it as her as a distant teenager and the the. Because you know, her youth, I think, is in the, the age of those girls, I think, is so important. So it's not, it's also just, you know, you wake up one day and your teenager is no longer the happy kid you knew and they don't, won't talk to you anymore and they're distant and they're sullen and, you know, these different things that are tropes of t- teenagers on television. And I, th- I think a few of us can relate to some of that as well. Um, I, I thought that also worked really well. So when we have, Erica yelling on the bridge. Yes, it's a person yelling at their cult brainwashed, theoretically, uh, daughter. But it's also a a sullen teenager giving their mom the silent treatment. And um, then the, for me, the extension of that being all those guilty remnant people just feel like sullen teenagers to me. Maybe that's part of why uh, they worked so uh, uh intermittently over the season over the series i should say um especially when they aren't and out um yeah i don't know i don't know if you have any 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 thoughts on that was there another corner of the show that worked for you how did you feel about the other mysteries did you were you happy to spend time in um hotel (laughs) hotel california for lack of a better word um, i was happy that i got to watch justin through butcher homeward bound um that was that was a special moment. Um, yeah. um, I mean, at least they didn't try to have him sing. Well, I think they told him just like lean into it and uh, we'll just film it. Sorry that this is going to be on, a, a, you know, public, public view. Um, no, very happy to go back to the hotel. Um, Cause I do think international assassin was one of the high points of the season of just the writer team being like, wouldn't it be cool? If we did an episode where he was, dead and was in a hotel and had to assassinate and doubt that would be cool let's do that and like have him run around in a suit with a gun um so i think having him go back having a little bit of a different tilt on it now that we've been to this purgatory or whatever it is once or just his brain um have him be pissed off that he's in purgatory again was hilarious um and it was brief you know it was less than 10 minutes you go he's back he's out of it um whatever uh so it was, I think it was like just enough to appreciate without being too much for a finale. They just kind of hopped back in, had some jokes, had some funny stuff at the bar, came back out. 
had him, you know, complete the rest of his day. Um, but yeah, I think as far as other areas of the, the mystery or whatever, I almost could have done without uh, Lori and Tommy, like side adventures. I don't, I didn't love Holy Wayne in the first season. Um, I didn't love what they did this season as far as Tommy becoming like a new Holy Wayne, like a resentful con artist almost. It was weird. It didn't super fit other than to get him to pair up with Meg and then to get Lori to Jarden. Um, I think that was a very uh, kind of like roundabout way to do that. But I understand why they had to. Um, so that was like only the the one part that didn't super work for me on a season level of working with the entire mystery. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as things that tied together, I think everything worked so well for me. Um, and I'm curious to know how, you know, Lindelof's analysis of depression from the first season kind of fed into this one, because as you were saying, kind of like a sullen teenager with the guilty remnant transfer, um, you know, so much of the first season was st- or stemmed from Damon Lindelhoff going to visit Newtown, Connecticut with Peter Berg uh, after reading Tom Parada's book. So I'm interested to see if, um, you know, comparisons could be made of like these teenagers joining the Guilty Remnant with, and their parents don't understand why they did this awful thing could be tied to like the unfortunate tragedies of school shootings or, um, you know, violence among teenagers that you see across the country, like how their minds work and how why they did this maybe you'll never know maybe that's the point um is that there's a teenager who runs naked through the woods and then ruins your town so i'm interested maybe like i don't know if damon lindelof will ever talk about that but those kinds of things where my mind can go there and it works and it's an option um i love um and i i do wish that Carrie Coon and Margaret Qualley got a little bit more to do this season, but they were great with what they got. So I can't really complain too much. And I just hope that in a third season, uh, they get written for a little bit more. Um, Oh, I think Carrie Coon got so much to do. I mean, she got fewer episodes, I guess, but the stuff they gave her uh, specifically with, uh, Thoreau, but then also with, um, with, with Regina King was so powerful that, I mean, it really did, that's that's a highlight for the the season, if not for the just the whole year's TV. That that uh, reading of the questions between those two. Yeah, from a directorial standpoint to an acting standpoint to a writing standpoint, absolutely incredible. I just think she got lost a lot in the back half of the season. Um, like basically from that scene on, um, from that episode on, got completely lost in all of the other craziness that was happening, which again works for that character right now because she's taking care of Mary, she's taking care of the baby like taking care of herself mentally there's not a lot that's going on which is understandable but it's still um unfortunate to see um and just like a little bit of a letdown to say oh like you had that great scene by carrie coon and then she didn't really do much after it um other than like talking to her brother um and talking to kevin a little bit um yeah i think that um uh, you know i'm happy there was only a limited amount of goat murders that was like a yeah to me that was like tough to watch um but yeah, I mean, so much worked. It's really, you know, like, I feel like I'm nitpicking um, because so much worked so well that it, it really was like one of the most amazing seasons of television uh, all year and one of the best second seasons that I have in recent memory, um, for sure. Yeah, the part that really stands out for me, you've already you've already mentioned it, is the stuff with Tommy, specifically in the finale when he seems to be following Meg around, but I'm not sure why. Uh, and then... She tells him family means everything, and then he, 
is helping out the baby and Nora and then he's back home. Like, I was missing scenes, something connecting that. It didn't, like, that Does felt... he want to stop her plan? Does he not want to stop her plan? Yeah, like, exactly. Could he have stopped the plan? He seems to approve of it, but then he goes home. Is he yeah. still on board with the plan and just visiting his family before he goes and joins the remnant again? Like... Sleeper agent. Yeah, like, there's... Tommy needs a lot of work. And I think that they can fix him, but he needs a lot of work. I actually like some of the stuff that we were getting with him and Laurie early in the season quite a bit. But again, I was like, because they knew there were only so many episodes, they couldn't give them another without sacrificing a more important episode. So they weren't going to sacrifice the Regina King Carrie Coon episode. They weren't going to sacrifice the MAG episode. They weren't going to sacrifice the, the Dream Hotel episode and so that means that a lot of the progression of that Tommy and Lori stuff happens off screen and that I think is really did end up um hurting our understanding of Tommy um but I, I think when you get to the the finale even with that as a bit of a like he needs to be here so that we can mimic the season one opening credits and have um have have a nice ending uh I do think that the the last scene really does work so well. When you have Kevin and his neighbor, his neighbor goes into a, war, a warmly lit house. And he, after being abandoned by his dog, he goes into a cold and seemingly desolate house. I don't know why they're all sitting there with the lights off, but they are. Uh, and, I, and as I was watching it, I was just thinking, oh, God, there's only like a minute left or two minutes left. And it's not enough time for them to actually check in with the other characters again. And I guess if they end, end this depressingly, that's okay. It's not my show. I don't get to pick. But it'd be nice if we had a heart. And then by the time I finished even thinking that, everybody's at the house and I'm just like crying. <laughs> it was such a great way, uh, at least for me. Uh, it was the kind of thing that, I mean, Kevin needed it in that moment. But just me watching it in the moment, I needed a win. And so I'm so glad they gave us one at the end. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, it's it's a small win because their town is basically Burning Man right now. Um, but it, it's a win nonetheless. It's a win for all these people who have like, like, Kevin's shot. Like, Kevin yeah. stole medical attention. <laughs> We're missing the fact that he still didn't get medical attention. <laughs> he can still walk into the house and it can still be heartwarming, even though he like is probably still bleeding out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um and still be like, oh, you came home. And she's like, you came home and it's all, oh, it's all sweet. And then, you know, they're going to have to get up in the morning and like still start fixing up this house that they bought for $3 million. Um, by the way, you are all financially unstable because you make poor life choices. Um, remember that. Um, but like, you're all alive. You're all together. Um, it's probably going to be awkward that Lori's there. But uh, like those things can be handled later because it did end on such like a, a sweet note. It did wrap up nicely. And if that's all we get, which I certainly hope it's not, um, that at least most things are wrapped up and you can just extrapolate everything else to like however you please. How did the mysticism of Virgil and Kevin's deaths work for you? It worked because he wasn't going to die. Mm-hmm. Like It worked because I knew that, like, and it, I mean, it helped that Damon Lindelof like, came out afterwards and trolled The Walking Dead and admitted that Kevin wasn't going to die. Um, but like you knew Michael had him. Something was going to happen whatever um eight hours is not an impossible time to be like legally i mean not i mean not medically dead but like in a coma maybe um 
running around a mystery hotel in your mind. Um, you know, like it's things that can be explained away. It wasn't I, at first when he came up out of the ground, I thought it was three days, like the birds. And I was about to have some words. Um, <laughs> but no, it worked for me because I knew that they weren't going to, weren't going to do us like that. Um, and it also helped that like, it was a stunning scene because Virgil sh- shoots himself right afterwards. And you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. Um, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't, it wasn't all mysticism. There was still some like emotional heft to it. Um, cause there was a suicide right afterwards. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, Damon Lindelof troll game strong as always, uh, from the, from the new theme song, to the opening scene of the season to many moments in between, uh, if nothing else, I admire his moxie in just not caring at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love the season two the credits and the theme every it gets me every single time every time i watch these photos and the people disappear and oh it puts you right in the mindset that you need to be in for this show so much better than the because it's it's the everyday nature of the photos and then that void of where that person should be it works so much more effectively than the very pretty but very um uh, maybe broke very very over the top credits from season one yeah and i'm such a sucker for a good credit sequence and they don't happen enough so i was so and i i heard people talking about it at the beginning of the season i heard people being excited about it and i specifically did not watch it until i watched the premiere um even though it was available a couple of days beforehand and i was so rewarded um it's and it's not only because it's you know a little bit more upbeat but it's colorful and they're fun photos. They're not just everyday life photos. You know, there was a way to do this for people sitting on front steps or people sitting at kitchen tables. No, it's people jumping into lakes and people running around and um, like interesting photos that I want to know the story behind the photos, like um, ways to do that. And so it, it embraces the mysticism. Uh, it tells everybody to stop trying to nitpick the mystery. Um, you know, two birds, one stone. Great credit sequence, great opening, gets you in the mindset, and also tells you to stop overthinking the questions that you're not getting answered. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any thoughts on Mary? Were you glad that we got an answer? Uh, I'm glad just so... uh, Oh, I forget the actress's name, but I am glad that she... uh, uh, Janelle Maloney. Yes. um, They're paying her the lead actress rate to sit in a wheelchair, so good for them. They finally got her to do some lines. Um... (laughs) Good for her that she doesn't have to sit in a wheelchair the, the entire time. And I think good for the story. I don't want Matt to be an insane rapist priest. Um, I like how you go up. Like, that's a, there's an uncertain rise at the end of that. It's like, I think that's okay. No, everybody agrees. The universe agrees with you on that. Yeah. So I, I think I, Christopher Eccleston is doing such great work in that role. Um, that, and he's already been through so much that I think that would have been one step too far. Um, you know, like him, like she was going to start showing soon and were had already, um, like him possibly going on trial for raping his comatose wife was like one step too far, even for the leftovers universe. So I'm happy with the mysticism of her waking up much more than I would be mm-hmm. with him having to go through that. Like he's already been in the stocks once this season. Uh, I think he's, I think he's all set <laughs> yeah i was just watching as as uh mary starts talking to Nora. i was like take her outside and go talk to neighbors and create witnesses right now <laughs> yeah. we need witnesses 
You were useless as a witness. You're a sister. Yeah. 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 But also I appreciated that it happened with Mary when she, it's like little hints. She was feeding her. She played the song. An earthquake happened. Like the, the day kind of got recreated, you know, um, even though it wasn't specific, um, little callbacks like that. But then it did happen with Nora so that we immediately know, um, like Nora's not crazy. We've established that she's one of the few people on the show who is not crazy and making her be crazy would I think been a huge misstep. Um, so the audience immediately knows that like Mary's awake. This is a real thing that happened. All of our minds can be at rest and then taking her outside and her staying awake through the end when she was outside for a long time. Um, gives it a good permanence that I feel comfortable um, instead of going back and forth, back and forth again. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, I mean, and the, the desperation of Matt to that, to get her back and that fear um, is very effective. And, and I think adds, adds a nice level of um, uh, energy and anticipation to the end too, which, or to the, the stunt on the bridge, I guess I should say. Uh, yeah. Because we don't really care about anybody else, but we do care that Matt cares. Because uh, I think we think that Mary's oh, going to be just fine. But Matt doesn't know that, and we care about Matt. So that really does work. I also just about uh, uh, had a uh, heart attack there when I was worried that they were going to trample the baby. Because uh, this is a show that I would believe would trample a baby. <laughs> um, so I was very Dang, glad that didn't happen. Business cards. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, I believe he would trample a baby. <laughs> Quote the Televerse. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other specific things from the season. Final thoughts, I guess. The, what I take away from the season and why it is so affecting to me, it, it's the performances, it's the writing, it's the direction, but it's also this, the undiluted um, emotion of the season and the raw energy that it just sort of forces you to feel um more like it's the guilty remnant of us all it makes this is a show that if you watch it and this is why i think there's so many even just you know the the tv uh critics and and super nerds that have come on to guests on the televerse people don't necessarily want that they don't necessarily want to put themselves that and experience that but this is a show that is most interested in making you feel and experience what a these particular characters are going through and for me that is that's right in my wheelhouse is what i am most interested in uh most most of the time uh, as a tv fan so for me that is why this season is so powerful because you have a, a fantastic storyteller in damon lindelof um and parada as well tom parada crafting just delivery devices for pure emotion uh, ugly and beautiful to all all together and it's gonna be it's gonna be in my top 10 spoiler alert listeners completely agree with you um especially like everything you just said um especially because we don't see that a lot on tv it's unique um it's something that stands out because of that you know i have the shows that i can go to to put on in the background and enjoy and you know i have the eye zombie i have the flash i have the you know like the fun um comedies around but i there aren't a lot of opportunities for a show to force you to be in its world to be in this emotional about everything involved um and then to also think that's a rare trifecta which i appreciate yeah well final thought for me i want season three i mean, i don't need it but i want it um and hopefully that'll come next year but if it doesn't 
very interesting show. Very interesting two seasons. And I can't wait for what Lindelof does next in the TV sphere. Any final thoughts, Whitney? Uh, yeah, about the same. And I think that's even a, a bigger sign of um, of um, the how good the season was is that we don't need a season three. That's that's a sign that they did a good job is that we don't need it, but we really, really want it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, hopefully HBO doesn't take the dipping audience numbers too much to heart. Um, but I would love it to come back. I would love to see where they go from here now that they've proven that they can push the reset button and, and kill it. Hmm. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for coming on the podcast this week to talk about so many, so many shows. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, so they can find me at uh, Pop Optic, where I am currently reviewing Supergirl as well as uh, Scream Queens, which has a two-hour season finale. Um, you know, either about to air or just aired by the time this goes up. Um, so find me there, and I am also over at Uprocks, the Yukon blog. Um, and that's it. So yeah. And find me on Twitter at Whitney M zero two. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can reach me at the televerse at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at the televerse. You can like the the Facebook page for the podcast and to start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And uh, listeners, if you have any issues with your feed this week, please do let me know. Uh, I'm a little, I've reason to think there may be a blip in the feed. So if that does happen, uh, please let me know. I would very much appreciate it. Uh, end of the year categories and lists are coming. It is going to be epic. Epic, I tell you. So if you have any suggestions or uh, picks you want you want to throw out there, listeners, let us know. And you can also, uh, if there's any last-minute shows that we haven't talked about on the podcast that you think that I need to watch before I do the grand listening please do reach out with them and I, I make no promises, but I will certainly uh, consider um, any, any recommendations that the listeners send my way. And of course, a lot with all this and as uh, 140 characters may not be enough, of course, you can always leave a comment at pop optic for the, where the post for this will be to, uh, to, to go over all of your thoughts on these fantastic shows we've been talking about this week. And also just your thoughts on the end of the year television. Thank you once more, Whitney, for coming on and thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.